What a true picture. Isaiah chapter 11 that she just read, read from a moment ago is a picture of the peaceable kingdom, but it's not a picture of the world that we live in today. Did you feel the tension up here? The division? It's the end of 2015. As we head into 2016, we are destined to see over the next three days a number of summary videos that uh, different news uh, stations will put together as they seek to uh, collapse all of 2015 into just a couple of minutes of video footage. We'll see pictures, we'll see images of famous individuals, of celebrities that have died during the year. We'll hear sound bites of significant moments that have taken place throughout this last year. Some will even attempt to summarize the year in a single word. I'm not sure what words will be chosen, but I have a sense that one word that will be chosen by many will be the word terrorism. Think about it. Etched in our minds, a little bit like 9-11, will be November 13, Paris, France. Many of you saw it. Most of us probably all saw that unfold on television almost in real time. Followed shortly by the events of San Bernardino in our own country, This sense of terrorism, this feeling that uh, things are not right. We're not a world that's at peace. There's not really any stretch of our imagination that would cause us to think that we are a world at peace. No, chaos is everywhere, and it does feel that way. So where, where do we find peace? How do we make peace as a nation, as a church, even as individuals? We're conflicted in that. Some say, let's fight. Let's fight it. Others say, let's just cower in fear and let's just give in. Others would seek to find some diplomatic method of having some compromise. Should we have a peace treaty or a peace summit? Should we do something to end up making peace in some way? I read some words this past week from a former terrorist that I thought really speak to this issue and would help us today as we seek to figure out at the end of the year, how do we find peace You see, this former terrorist found that he gave his life to creating havoc, wrecking people's lives, ending people's lives. Just this year, we've seen Christians' lives brought to an end at the hands of terrorism. So where do we find that? Actually, you've got the words nearby. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 7, and and you'll see the words actually recorded in our Bible from this former terrorist. Because he really does have something to say to us today that could help us with our search for peace during this coming year. Acts chapter 7 verse 58 records these words. It says, and they cast him out of the city. Him is referring to Stephen. Stephen was one of those young followers of Christ in the new church who was boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. He was proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one who was said to come. He was the one that the the prophet Isaiah had prophesied about when he said, unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. Stephen was proclaiming that this Jesus was indeed the Son of God, that he alone was the one in whom we could find life and hope. And the Bible says, and they cast him, Stephen, out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. The book of Acts introduces in Acts 7.58 this new character, this terrorist that's on the scene. He's a man on a mission. And his mission is to snuff out and to put out and destroy this new movement 
that's been started by Jesus. He is a man on a mission. Look at verse 1 of chapter 8. The Bible says, now Saul was consenting to his death. Saul was the one who was standing there giving the nod to others to carry out this execution of this young follower of Jesus. He was the one who had likely given the order, and he is supervising what's taking place. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Verse 3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. Now, this Saul was not some uneducated character. He was a well-educated man. He was really an Old Testament scholar. He was a scholar of the law. He was a Pharisee. He was devoutly committed to his faith. And he was confident that he was doing the work of God by seeking to destroy Christians, taking out their lives along the way. This scholar of the law would certainly have understood the words that Isaiah penned in Isaiah 9 when he said he will be called the prince of peace. Pastor shared with us last week that word peace is the word shalom. And it does not simply mean the absence of war. No, instead it means a sense of wholeness and health and well-being and a restoration of that which has been broken. He would have understood that, but very likely, like some of his friends, he had come to a place of deciding that the Messiah was going to be one who would come and set up an earthly kingdom. One who would come and establish a world peace, a national kind of peace, who would overthrow Rome and allow Israel to be able to live freely without their oppression. But that was not the kind of peace that this Messiah was coming to bring. But likely he may have bought into that. This man was not the last terrorist that the church would ever see, but he's the first one we find introduced in scripture to us today. See, this promised one, this Messiah, Jesus, had been proclaimed as one who would come as the Prince of Peace. But not only was peace associated with his name 600, 700 years before his birth, peace was also associated with his name at his birth. You remember Luke chapter 2, we just celebrated Christmas. The Bible says that the angels came and proclaimed and announced to the shepherds that were in their fields, keeping watch over their flock by night, that this child has been born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then the Bible says that they broke out in song. They were singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. So peace has been associated with Jesus since before his birth, at his birth, but in his earthly ministry, Jesus had something to say about peace. That for the non-observant individual might seem contradictory. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus was speaking with his disciples one day and he said, Do not think that I came to bring peace, but a sword. Wow. Those are the words of Jesus. He said, Don't think that I came to bring peace, but instead I came to bring a sword. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, he continues to talk about the separation that would happen with, even within families over those who choose to follow him as Savior and Lord of their lives. But it's not a contradiction. 
Jesus truly is the Prince of Peace that was prophesied in Isaiah 9-6. But he came to bring a peace that was far greater than a political peace, far greater than a world peace or a national peace. You see, Jesus, just like the other times that he taught, filled full with meaning the words that we had misunderstood. Do you remember what he said about adultery? He said, really, adultery is not just about this physical relationship. Adultery starts even in the heart, Jesus said. And he said, it's not just about physically murdering someone. It really is that hatred in our heart leads to that murder. And in much the same way, the peace that Jesus would be the prince of would be so far greater than just a world peace that is an absence of war that it captured the mind of this former terrorist. Let's continue to read on to see what happened to the terrorist. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. The Bible says, Then Saul, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked for letters from him to the synagogue to Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, that's the name for the followers of Jesus, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Wow. What a transformation. What an encounter with Jesus does to an individual is miraculous. This terrorist encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus, and all of a sudden his life is changed. And now instead of thinking maybe that the Messiah would be this political leader that would bring world peace, this former terrorist comes to understand Jesus. Jesus truly is the promised one. He truly is the Messiah. As he surrenders his life to him, if you continue to read the text, you'll see that that's exactly what happens. Look down to verse 20. The Bible says immediately, well, verse 18 tells us uh, after coming to Christ that he was baptized. Verse 20 says immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the son of God. Then all who were amazed and said, is this not the one who, I'm sorry, is this not, <clears throat> is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose? so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest. But Saul increased all the more in strength. And he confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. That word, the Christ, is the Messiah. It was that promised one. I want you to notice the importance of what, what Jesus says in verse 4. Please notice that... He asked Saul, why is he persecuting him? Notice the closeness between the church, the body of Christ, and Jesus. It's a good warning to us to be very, very careful that we not ever do anything to harm the body of Christ, the church, 
because it is his body. It's precious to him. Saul was out persecuting these people who were followers of Jesus, but notice that Jesus equated that with personally persecuting himself. It's a good word for us today. Jesus clarified much about this meaning of peace. I want us to look at how it is that Saul came to understand and what he grew to understand about Jesus that caused him to identify Jesus the Messiah as truly this prince of peace. You see, God was up to something when he drew Saul to himself. He had a plan for Saul's life just like he has a plan for my life and your life when he calls us to come to himself. And part of his plan for Saul was that he would become the one through whose hand and through whose pen would be the words inspired by the Holy Spirit that make up about two-thirds of the New Testament you hold in your hand. It's pretty amazing. I want us to look at just three things that Saul, later who became known as Paul, writes in the New Testament about peace. Would you look with me to Romans chapter 5, verse 1? And I want you to see that this experience, this encounter with Christ, left him with a new understanding of peace. Paul writes this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What I want you to see out of that text is a reminder to you that Jesus as the Prince of Peace makes peace with God accessible for us. He makes peace with God accessible. Well, that statement of peace with God kind of begs the question, why do I need peace with God? The pastor, again, challenged us with some of those same thoughts about some of the other titles given to Jesus. Only the person who knows they need to be rescued is looking for a rescuer. And only the person who realizes that they have become an enemy or that they are separated from someone recognizes that peace needs to be made. Some of us might think, well, I've never declared myself an enemy of God. It wasn't necessary. It's not necessary at all. You see, the Bible makes clear for each one of us that we have, like sheep, gone astray. Each one of us has gone our own way. We're not already on God's team. We're not born on God's team. The Bible clearly explains to us that we are sinners both by nature and by choice. And that our sin has separated us from God. When we're separated from others, we recognize that there needs to be some kind of mediation. When there's a conflict between us and another person, we realize that someone has to take the first step. And someone has to acknowledge, I did something wrong. I want to make this right. I want to get this relationship back together. But recognize that my sin and your sin separated us from God. Colossians 1.21 says that we are enemies of God. James 4.4 says our friendship with the world identifies us as enemies of God. You see, we don't have to raise a flag that says, I want you to know I'm an enemy of God. We're already an enemy of God by virtue of our choice to sin. God is holy. The Bible tells us that our sin demands a price. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. You see that our sin not only separated us from God, but it demanded that a price be paid. Jesus, the Messiah, was the perfect sinless Son of God. He came for one purpose, and his purpose in coming was that he might seek and save those who were lost, that he might give his life a ransom for many. 
Jesus said that he laid down his life for us. Why? So that that price might be paid. That Jesus might bridge that gap between the Father and us because our sin had separated us from God. See, until we are born again into God's family, that means we are outside of God's family. Many people don't like to think of themselves as being outside of God's family. But can I tell you from the word of God, if you've never by faith repented of your sin and received Christ into your life, then you are an enemy of God and you need peace with God. The Apostle Paul recognized that this Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah, that promised one who would be the Prince of Peace because Jesus is the Prince of Peace, makes peace with God accessible. Not only does he make peace with God accessible, but Jesus also gives us another kind of peace. Look at Philippians chapter 4, also written by uh, Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church at Philippi. He writes to them about uh, a significant issue. Chapter 4, verse 6, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which passes all understanding. It's Paul telling us. He says that there is a way for us to live once we have peace with God, that we can walk daily with him in a way that we have the peace of God in our lives and on our lives. We don't have to live with worry and anxiety and panic and fear and terror. He said what we do with those things is we bring those things to the Lord and we bring them to him in prayer with thanksgiving. And when we do that, he said that the consequence, the result of that is that the peace of God, which is really unexplainable, he said that peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. I can't explain that to you. He's already told us it's unexplainable. That's what Paul came to experience. He said, look, I can't explain this peace, but I can tell you that it's real and the peace of God is available. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, makes God's peace available to us. I have friends in this church and community, two young ladies, both under the age of 40, that have been diagnosed with cancer in the last month both with a significant form of cancer. Both have undergone treatments to deal with that cancer. But what's been amazing has been watching them walk this journey. So I've watched them live out Philippians 4, 6, and 7 to see that as they cast their cares upon the Lord and he cared for them, that God has clothed them with the peace of God. And I can't explain that. And you can't either. You see, it's a peace that passes understanding. My friend Steve Joyner, right over here. Steve uh, and I have been friends for several years. And Steve, many of you know his story, but know that he was burned severely four years ago, all right? Four, five, 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 hallelujah. Five years ago, just celebrated this uh, mark in his life just the other day. But five years ago was in a very severe fire. Burned over tremendous portions of his body. There were days many of us thought his life would be taken, that he would not make it. But the truth is, God has allowed him to be a great testimony of the mercy and the grace of God. 
And if you talk with him, and I would encourage you to, you know one of the things that he'll tell you is that in the moment of that fire, he said, I can't explain it. An overwhelming sense of God's peace in that moment enveloped my life. In a moment of tragedy, can I tell you that there is a peace of God, the peace of God can rule and reign in your life in such a way that God is glorified. And so I want to encourage you to understand too that the Apostle Paul later would come to understand that Jesus, the Messiah, came as the Prince of Peace to make peace with God for us on our behalf. But he also came so that the peace of God would be accessible to us. And then turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 18. You'll see another text of Paul writing to the believers in Rome later about how they should deal with one another. And what Paul says to the believers in Rome is that as much as is possible, as much as depends on you, live at peace with all men. I just tell you that Jesus as the Prince of Peace also makes peace with others possible. Jesus as the Prince of Peace makes peace with others possible. You know, we live in a world we started out talking about that's filled with chaos. But the truth is that you could live your life in such a way when you have peace with God and you have the peace of God in your life, you can live at peace with other people. You don't have to have a life that's constantly filled with conflict and chaos with other people. God will allow you to live in such a way that you can be at peace with others. Now it's interesting the little caveat that he makes there because he says that the peace of God or as much as depends on you, you can't make someone else be at peace with you. There's a limit to what you can do. You know what the wisdom writer said, Proverbs 16, 7? He said that when we live in such a way that we are pleasing to God, that God will make even our enemies live at peace with us. That's very interesting. You see, I think that we can live lives that are marked by peace. You remember in Galatians, Paul would write later that the fruit of the Spirit was love, joy, and peace. One of those markers that you belong to Christ is the peace that you have with him, the peace in your life, and the peace that you have with other people. You see, I I believe that one of the best pictures that we find of peace is the picture of Jesus. You remember the story. Now, somebody asked me, said, are you going to be so boring you're going to put us to sleep today? I said, no, I'll try not to be, okay? As I was thinking about what, what's a good picture for us of peace, and, and the pillow is really what came to mind for me, because you remember that Jesus was out on the, on the water in the Sea of Galilee with his disciples one day, and a storm blew up. And they're frightened. They are fearful, scared to death. And they wake Jesus up. And they said, don't you care that we're about to die? They woke him up. Why? Because he was the picture of peace. He was at peace with God. He was asleep in the boat in the middle of a storm. You know, when, you, when your life is marked by peace, um, you can lay your head down and you can go to sleep. But when your soul is troubled, you're kept awake. I want to encourage you today to recognize that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, truly is the Prince of Peace. You see, he came to give us a peace that is far, far greater than just an absence of war 
and just a peace that means we're not fighting nation against nation. He wants to give us a peace that passes understanding. So we go into 2016. I want to issue a challenge to you today. And it really follows with the rest of the story of the terrorists. Go back to Acts chapter 9. Let's look at how the story ends. Because there's an amazing little editorial comment that I think speaks to us today. And it's going to be our challenge for the day and for the year. Verse 23 says, Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night, and they led him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid. They were afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, wow, mark those words. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly in Damascus in the name of Jesus. And so he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenist or the Greeks, but they attempted to kill him. And when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and they sent him out to Tarsus. Look at verse 31. What a great descriptor of the church. Then the churches throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit they were multiplied. Man, what a great story. What a great picture to see what God was up to. Not only was God calling this terrorist Saul, was going to change his life, was going to use him to help pen much much of the word of God, the New Testament that we have today, but he was also going to use him to be an incredible missionary to the world. You see, at this point, the church had been established in Jerusalem and it expanded into Judea and Samaria. But with the ministry of the Apostle Paul, with his missionary passion for planting churches all over Asia Minor, the church was going to be expanded and it was going to begin to grow exponentially. God was up to something. But did you see the posture of the church at first? Do you see what terror can do to us? The church almost missed what God was doing. God was bringing Paul to them or bringing Saul to them because he had a much bigger plan. You realize that fear can divide us. Fear can destroy us. Jesus said that a house divided against itself will not stand. It's important for us to recognize what God was doing in this moment. Where does peace fit into this picture? Well, the Bible says in verse 31 that the church had peace. You recognize there are many things that can divide us. I read an interesting book this week called Generational IQ by Hayden Shaw. And he says that the church has crossed over to a new place in the 21st century. Our lifespans are now so long that we have five significant generations of people sitting in the pews every week. That is very significant. It is the challenge of every pastor in the nation to know how to be the shepherd to so many different kinds of sheep. He paints a picture in his book of the danger and the risk that we face in attacking one another and in so not taking the time to love one another and understand one another 
that we only see life through the lens of our generation and through our eyes, that we begin to be critical and we begin to throw stones at one another. And it's challenged for us from that book, and I would say from the Word of God today, is that I pray for us that we would have in 2016 the same spirit that these churches in Judea and Galilee had, that they were at peace. Do you realize nobody wants to be a part of a church that's at war? Nobody wants to be a part of a, a group of people that are fighting one another. And we have to do everything that we can to stand against and guard against division in the life of the church. Well, how do we do that? How do we overcome that? We do that by becoming a church that is on mission, a church that's focused on a bigger picture. Our goal, our mission needs to be the glory of God, not church done my way. The mission is not that church would be done my way. The church is that, the the mission is that our church would bring God glory, that we would be united for God's glory, and we would be reflecting the life of Christ to the world. And I pray that that would be our church for many, many years to come. But I say the thing about generations to say it is a real threat to every church. And I want to encourage you this year in 2016 to be committed to glorifying God by preserving and helping to maintain the unity of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this church. Pastor shared with us last week that there are changes coming, and he's right. There's going to be an interstate highway flying right over there in not too distant time in the future, uh, coming across part of that north parking lot. And we're going to have to make some adjustments to that. We're going to have changes in our world. So what if it takes your parking place? I pray that you're going to say, you know what? I could care less. I'll park on the other side. I'll park over here. I'm here together to glorify God. I'm not here to get a prime parking spot. That's not why I came to church. But there are changes that we're going to have to make in the days to come. But I want to say to you that there are, there are missional changes that we're going to need to make. Two of them I want to suggest to you today, and we'll close. One of those is that you're going to hear more from the pastor about this, but our staff have been working and praying together. Phyllis, thank you for helping me the other day. Phyllis wrote and provided for me a resource at our association that was a tremendous tool. Help us identify 3,444 homes that are within a one-mile radius of this church building where we're sitting right now. 3,444 homes. Our goal is in 2016 is to share the gospel with every family in every one of those homes in this next 365 days. I hope that you will not just say, man, that's a good idea. I hope y'all do that. No. (laughs) Today, I'm going to say to you, look, I want you to embrace this vision to say God did not plant us here to become a fortress and to be here and to be hiding in fear and to be huddled. No, he scattered us. Did you notice that in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, the Bible said that they were all scattered. Everywhere they went, they proclaimed the word of God. I think God could use us to do something great this year. Far better for us to be out sharing the gospel with people than for us to be huddled in here, hunkered down like the disciples were saying, we're afraid, we're not sure about being out there with those other people. We're not sure Paul's one of us. We're not sure he is. 
So I want to challenge you when you hear the pastor talking about this year that you would be the first to say, I want to be a part of that. Help me know how I can be engaged with other people. We're not talking about sending flyers in the mail to them to tell them the gospel. We're talking about connecting personally, face-to-face with every household in a one-mile radius of this church. I hope that you would be excited about being on board with sharing the gospel with people. Why would we do that? Because people need the peace with God. And they're not going to have peace with God apart from Christ. He has given us the gospel to be able to share it. They will never have the peace of God until they have peace with God. And they will never have peace with others until they have peace with God and the peace of God in their life. Another change. I believe that God is opening the door for us to start more groups than ever in the history of this church in our homes. I believe that we are at a time and place when we can no longer just say to people, you ought to come down to the church building where you can hear the gospel. You heard Brian and Allison Mutch. And their story of God using them in their neighborhood just to invite their neighbors over to meet one another and then to say, hey, we're going to do this thing for five weeks. Sixteen people showed up for five weeks straight. It's a new opportunity for us. In the spring of this year, we're going to give every one of you an opportunity to use your home as a place for ministry. You're going to be challenged to consider how God would use you to help reach neighbors, friends, family, co-workers with the gospel of Jesus Christ. How? We're going to help you with some of the details of that later. Right now, what I want you to do is just, I want you to be praying and asking God, God, would you help me be willing to take steps that I need to take where you could use me? You see, there's a mission that's much bigger than our personal satisfaction or our personal happiness or our comfort. The mission that we've been given by Christ is that we would be his ambassadors, that we would go into all the world, that we would make disciples out of all the nations. Can I just tell you that all the nations are right here? There are about 15 ethnicities in this one-mile radius. There are 14 different religious groups that are represented religions all over the world in this one-mile radius of this church. We shouldn't live our lives in fear. God took a terrorist and saved him. And then he used that terrorist to change the world. I want to challenge you this year in 2016. We not live our lives in fear. For crying out loud, we have the Lord Jesus Christ reigning and resident as the Prince of Peace. We don't have to walk afraid. We don't have to walk in fear. Can we walk in faith and confidence in 2016 and say, God, would you use me to share the gospel to bless other people? Why? Because they need peace with God. You know what's interesting about that? It does not work in reverse. Some people get to a place in their life, they kind of figure out, they think, you know, if I could just kind of get my relationships right with other people and kind of make things right. I'll do that. And somehow, if I can just kind of sit still and conjure up some peace for myself, then maybe God would notice me and he would love me and care for me and I'd have peace with him. See, it doesn't work that way. It works when we start 
by God's plan and that we have peace with God through Jesus. When we do that, those other things follow. I came across this statement this week by H.G. Wells. He said, the time has come for me to reorganize my life, my peace. I cry out, I cannot uh, adjust my life to secure any fruitful peace. Here I am at 64, still seeking peace. It is a hopeless dream. People that you know every day, people that you cross paths with every day, live in that place. They don't have peace right here. And they don't lay down at night and place their head on a pillow and sleep in peace. I believe that God's planted our church here and going to use us in 2016 to make the adjustments and changes necessary that we would take the gospel outside of the walls of this church and that we would start this year in our Jerusalem. We're doing a great job carrying the gospel all over the world. My challenge to you is we need to make sure we're taking care of the folks who live next door. I want to ask you to join me this year in asking God, would you let us be a church of peace, a church who's comforted by the Holy Spirit, a church who walks in the fear of the Lord. Did you see that last word? A church that multiplied. I believe that God has great things in store for us this next year. And I'm going to ask you just to join me this year in praying that God would prepare our hearts that we might be ready to do that. I don't want us to respond today. Well, two ways. One, you already have peace with God. Maybe you're here today and you already know Christ. You have peace with God. You know that's established. I want to ask you just to simply commit anew and afresh to the Lord today. God, I'm yours. Use me in 2016 however you will. My house is yours. My heart's yours. My time is yours. I'll share the gospel. I'll go where you send me. God, use me. It may be that you're here today and you realize that you've never taken step one. There's no peace with God with you. You've never established a truce. You realize that you're outside of the family. Can I tell you that Jesus is waiting today? He's just waiting on your response to him. Acknowledge your sin before him to turn away from that and to receive Christ as Lord of your life today. I beg you, don't wait another moment. Jesus came as the Prince of Peace that he might help you have peace with God today. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, thank you that because of Christ we can have peace with you. We're no longer on the opposite side, but God, we're on your team. Father, I pray today specifically that as a church, you would help our church be engaged as a church of peace, helping other people find peace with God. Father, for the one who's here today who has never taken that step of faith, I pray that you would draw them just the same way that you drew the Apostle Paul by your spirit. God, you confronted him with his need for you. You drew him to yourself, and then you used him in mighty ways. God, would you move in this place right now? Draw individuals to yourself who are right now your enemies, but God, who you want to be a part of your family.
Do it for your glory. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I ask you to stand. Stan leads us in this closing hymn. Here's a response that you would make to God. I want to ask you to use this altar as a time just to commit your life to allowing God to use you in 2016, however he would. You need to respond to Christ and have peace with God. I invite you to respond right now. There'll be folks here at the front.